You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. And now, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 2, 7 through 8. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man as he made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, soldier, and peace be with you. It's good to see you all. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Um, Our mission here at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to build them up as his church, and then send them to follow him in the world that he has made. And I'm thankful that you've come uh, to be a part of that with us. Uh, A couple of quick things. We have a membership class coming up this Friday. We're doing it over Zoom because of the times that we live in. So that's if, if you would like to become a member here, that's your next step. Uh, if you've been around for a while and you want to learn more about uh, kind of the inner workings of our church, whether it's how we're structured, what we believe, the culture here, uh, that's a great spot to come and to listen and to learn more. Coming to membership class doesn't obligate you to be a member, so it's a great place to come and ask questions if you would like, um, or you can... Uh, if you want to be a member, that, that is your next step. So uh, you can sign up for that. There's information about that on your weekly email you got last week or in the bulletin this week or on the app, or you can fill out a Connect card and drop it in the box. But we will, uh, yeah, we'll be there next Friday on Zoom. Hope to see you there. And also, don't forget about the candy drop-off. We got the, man, I don't know, I, who made Emily Ferguson made it. That's who made it. Do you see the Willy Wonka signs out there this morning? If you're into Willy Wonka or you're into candy, you need to look at the donation box out there and see what she made. And I'm also pleased to report, uh, just two minutes ago, I was looking in there and y'all responded to the call last week for the good stuff. Uh, in there, I see chocolate, I see Reese's. I was rebuked sound, resoundly this morning for saying Reese's. Reese's, there was Reese's in there, there was chocolate in there. No Smarties, I'm, I'm pleased to announce. Uh, so <clears throat> I won't say who, but someone after church last week dropped off a big tin of Smarties on my porch. It was a... Passive aggressive, but uh, the rebuke was received. <laughs> so you can keep dropping those off over the next few weeks. Um, so kind of a strange question I, I want to ask you guys to start this morning. Something, something just to sit with, think about for a moment. Um, when did you realize that you had a body? Now I don't mean I don't mean you know like when infants recognize their fingers or toes. I mean, when did you realize that your body meant something about you, that people had opinions about your body? When did you realize that you had a body and it said something about who you are? I remember it real vividly. I was in third grade. In the middle of the school year, we moved from Detroit, where I'd grown up, to Cleveland, and I was having a pretty good first day of school. Uh, where I went to school in third grade, you got assigned a buddy if you were a new student, and uh, I got assigned the pretty girl in school, which is a big deal when you're in third grade, and so I got to spend the whole day with, with the pretty girl, and uh, 
I was pretty much in love by the end of the day. Uh, spent the whole day with her. She was friendly. Uh, she smelled like fruit roll-ups, I'm sure, or some, something like that. Um, it, it was amazing. I, I was on cloud nine. By the end of the day, not only was I pretty sure that I was in love with her, I was also pretty sure she was in love with me because she kept smiling at me and she stayed with me all day. You know, and by the end of the day, I'm like, this means something. And so I was waiting in the bus uh, for the bus to pick us up. I was in line at the end of the school day and I was just totally spaced out daydreaming about we would probably get married soon by fifth or sixth grade. Um, I was envisioning this whole life together, totally spaced out, lost track of where I was and what I was doing. And I felt this shove from behind me. And then a, a, a little third grader shouted, out of the way, you blimp. And, and as she stomped onto the bus, I was so confused. Um, you ever have somebody say something to you? And you knew it was bad, but you had no idea what it meant. I just had no idea why would she call me a blimp. I, it was mean, it was angry, but I have no idea what, I didn't know what she meant. And I remember going home and talking to my mom and asking her what that meant. Why would she call me a blimp? And, you know, my mom, real lovingly, and I'm sure it was hard for her, explained to me that I was one of the chubby kids. And since then, since third grade, I've struggled with this feeling that my body is bad. And if your body is bad, it's not a difficult jump to go from my body is bad to I am bad. Maybe you were never the chubby kid, but I'm guessing you've had similar thoughts about something. I've received this message about my body that's bad, and therefore I'm bad. It may not surprise you, or maybe it will surprise you, I don't know, to know that this kind of pattern of thinking is not new. To be told something bad about your body and then therefore to say that your body is bad and, and you are bad. Maybe you're too short. Maybe you're too tall. You notice how people do this? I remember the first time after about 15 years of being the chubby kid and wishing I wasn't chubby, of hearing somebody say how embarrassed they were that they were skinny. And I was like, what? That's a thing too? You can get it on the other end too? Maybe you're too tall, maybe you're too short, maybe you're too heavy, maybe you're too thin, maybe you're too hairy, maybe you're not hairy enough, maybe you're embarrassed about your beard, maybe you're embarrassed that you can't grow a beard. For thousands of years, in every culture, humans have struggled with what to do about these bodies, these bodies that get sick, these bodies that have aches and pains, these bodies that aren't what we wish they were or not what we're told they should be. These bodies that will eventually wither and die. Um, a man named Plato, maybe you've heard of him before. Uh, he was one of the first thinkers to kind of officially formally articulate this idea that stuff is bad. Um, it's less than. It's not as valuable um, it's a shadow of what's really good, of what's really beautiful, of what's really true. How do you reconcile the problems we have with our bodies or with our earth? For guys like Plato and a lot of the people that followed him, it was to just say that it's bad. If you can touch it, if you can see it, it's bad. The stuff you can't see, the stuff you can't touch, that stuff is better. So Plato argued that the material was not so valuable and the immaterial was more valuable. The spiritual, the formless, was actually the good stuff. This way of seeing the world became known as dualism. If you can touch it, it's bad. If you can't touch it, it's good. 
And a long time after that, someone who was really enamored with Plato, a brilliant priest, a man by the name of Thomas Aquinas. You ever heard of his name before? Thomas Aquinas. Brilliant thinker. Lots of wonderful things to say. But he was deeply informed by Plato, deeply influenced by Plato. And these ideas, particularly for the last 500 years or so, have really crept inside of the church. The idea that your body is bad, this earth is bad, if you can touch it, it's bad. What do we do with these bad bodies? Well, we throw them into the fire and we wait to be floated away by these spirits. You ever sing the song, I'll fly away? My spirit will just lift up and we get to go be in the clouds and we'll sing songs to Jesus floating around in this disembodied nothingness. God does not like that idea that your body is bad and that one day you'll float away and finally be free from your bodies. That is not at its core a Christian idea. If anything, it's a Greek idea. If you want to sound fancy, it's a Platonic idea as in coming from Plato. Um, Look at Genesis 2 again, verse 7. We just had two verses this morning. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. I I have two core convictions that guide a lot of how I live, and I think if you hold these, it'll be hard to screw up too bad. Um, The first conviction is God is not dumb. You will go very far in life if, if you are willing to accept God is not dumb. The second core conviction I have is that God doesn't make mistakes. If God is not dumb and you believe he doesn't make mistakes, that will influence the way you view all of life. God is a brilliant creator, a genius architect, an unparalleled craftsman. And here in Genesis 2, we see this God with his hands in the dirt, personally forming a human body. Here's some of what this means. When we say God personally formed a body, or as the scriptures would later say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But just tell you a couple of things about your body. You know, your tongue has 4,000 taste buds on it. Some people have up to 8,000 taste buds. Each cell, each one of those taste buds has roughly 100 cells in it. Anytime you taste anything, there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of things working in concert together just on your tongue, not even talking about your circulatory system or your brain or any of that. So anytime you taste something, there's quite literally a miracle happening inside of your mouth. Your body replaces every ounce of skin on your body once a month. You are not who you were a month ago. All of your skin is brand new. Your heart beats 100,000 times a day. Remember, who remembers the last time you told your heart to beat? Remember that this morning I woke up and said, come on, heart, don't let me down. Not today, heart. Go, heart. No, your heart just does it. It pumps. This blew my mind. 2,000 gallons of blood a day, your heart pumps. You have any, imagine putting 2,000 gallons of milk in your car. That, that's how much your body is pumping through. By age 70, your heart has beat 2.5 billion times. Never told it to once. In your body, there are enough blood vessels to wrap around the whole globe. They're all working in concert inside of a you. Your body consists of more than 600 muscles, all working together in concert to keep you going. Every second, your body produces 25 million new cells. In 15 seconds, your body will make more cells than there are Americans. Pound for pound, your bones are stronger than steel. 
your eye can distinguish 10 million colors. We haven't even talked about the brain and the utter mystery and miracle that is the human brain. My, my point is, is your body is a work of sheer craftsmanship and brilliance that we hardly have words to describe. God did that. God in the dirt formed that body that we so often just take for granted. Your body is absolutely breathtaking in its complexity and its beauty. And in that verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, please notice that it doesn't say God made a spirit and he was trying to figure out what to do with it. No, God made a body and then he breathed his life into it to bring this body to life. You cannot say material stuff, especially your body is bad because God made it and God declared it good. Your body was God's idea, and the scriptures have no category for a human without a body. I'm going to say that one more, one more time. The scriptures have no category for a human without a body. You don't simply have a body. Have you heard that language before? I have this body or whatever. You don't simply have a body. You are your body. You and your body are part of a complex whole, including your mind and your body and your soul and your emotions, all of these things. We don't simply have bodies. We are bodies. And as God's people, we need to learn to stop fighting our bodies or wishing them away, but to receive them instead with gratitude as, as gifts from a God who loves us. And, and I want to acknowledge that this is very complicated. Uh, that this raises significant questions. I want to give you a small picture of what I think this could mean for all of us. I know we're in different circumstances, facing different challenges, but what I think this could mean for all of us to begin to receive our bodies with more gratitude. And it's based on the next verse, verse 8. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. So I want you to notice that the creation of man isn't complete without a body and without a place. The, the final act of creating the first human was God putting the man in his place. I mean that literally. I don't mean that positionally or in an authority sense. He literally had to say, here's where you go. This place. Think, of, think about this real carefully with me for a minute. God creates a universe so large that it is beyond comprehension. Just if you need some help with this, go get a YouTube video and just search how big is the universe. And it won't, it won't make any sense to you, I promise. It's, it's incomprehensibly large. In this vast universe, God makes one planet. It's a, it's a Goldilocks planet, just far enough from the sun tilted on its axle just right, with just the right amount of carbon that life could be sustained here. Now, compared to us sitting here in Indiana right now, the earth is gigantic. It's huge. In the scope of the universe, though, it's smaller than a speck of sand. Then this huge planet where he makes a man, God says, I'm giving you one place to be in, a small garden, that's a tiny, tiny portion of a tiny, tiny planet in a gigantic universe. To be a creature, to be a human, means that you have good limitations given to you by a good God who loves you. 
final act of creating man was to put man in a limited place and say, this is where you belong. And we'll, we'll see this later, but one of the curses of rebellion is displacement. Instead of being rooted here in Eden, man is told you have to wander now. You have to go wander around and, and make a home for yourself. If you want to receive the goodness of your body with gratitude, embracing limitations is a good place to begin. We can only be in one place at one time. You embraced a limitation by being here this morning, by watching online. Lots of other places you could be, but we can only be in one place at one time. We can only turn our attention to one place at one time. We only have so much energy, so much attention, so much time. And those limitations are part of your good design. When it comes to our body, we have incredible limitations. We have the limitation of sleep, the limitation of food, the, the limitation of, of water. You know, our, by and large, our church is filled with middle-aged people, you know, kind of mid-30s, early 40s. And that demographic, I'm in there, I'm 38. Um, middle-aged people tend to ignore our physical limitations. How do we do that? What's that look like? Well, we, we often push our body beyond its limits. We eat poorly. We sleep poorly. We keep running harder and harder and harder. Lots of middle-aged folks I know make it a great point of pride to say they only sleep four hours a night. Uh, sometimes, you know, this can go in the opposite direction for middle-aged folks, where we become obsessed about our bodies. We count every single calorie. We count every single step. We push our bodies to the limit, anxious about what will happen. We exercise tirelessly. Either one of those extremes are a rejection of God's design, his, his good design, creating you with and for limitations. This, this doesn't go away just because you, you get older. It just looks different. O older people reject the limitations of their aging in, in different ways, um, most often just refusing to embrace it. You get procedures, you dye your hair, all, all kinds of ways we try to act like it's not happening. I'm not saying that it's sinful to not exercise. I'm not saying it's sinful to not eat well. I'm not saying it's sinful to dye your hair. W what I'm saying is, if you refuse to accept your limitations, you'll never experience the goodness of the body that God has given to you. And what's more, if we refuse to accept the limitations of what God has given to us, we will never find the joy of hope that God gives to our bodies. Because some of our limitations are painful. Amen? It's hard to rejoice in a body that is sick. It's, it's hard to rejoice in the aches and pains that come with age. I'm not, I mean, again, I'm, I'm 38, but I often find myself praying for, before bed, God, please don't let me accidentally sleep funny and have my neck hurt for the next month. It can be, it can be hard to say your body is good when your whole life it, you've been told that it's bad. It can be hard to say your body is good when you wish it were different. The, the cultural pressures that we face are, are so severe. So how, how is there hope in bodies that can be filled with so much pain? 
Maybe you can buy the theological argument that God has said that your body is good, that he created it personally and particularly. But how can we live with joy amidst the reality of our limitations? I think we... I think we have to begin by seeing, not just hearing or believing, but really seeing what God says about our bodies. Not what he tells us, what he shows us. This is seeing God's feelings and his opinion, his invitation about our bodies is seen most clearly in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Look at, this is John chapter 1, very famous verse. The word, that's Jesus, the word of God became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God came and made his home among us in a human body. The incarnation of Jesus is a stunning declaration of the goodness of the human body. God's glory is seen in Christ, and part of that is Christ's glorious body. And here's a popular heresy that guys like Plato and that influenced him have perpetuated over the years. They'll say, well, Jesus didn't have a real body. He just looked like he had a body. It appeared that he had a body. And you just can't make that argument from the scriptures. Uh, Luke 2 shows us that God's birth was as a baby. A baby who apparently was cold because he needed to be wrapped up and laid down somewhere warm right after his birth. Luke goes on in chapter 2 to tell us that Jesus grew up physically, emotionally, spiritually, which means Jesus went through puberty and all the things that that go with that. Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 11, and others tells us Jesus was hungry, a real human body that gets hungry. John chapter 4, verse 6 tells us Jesus got tired after a day of walking. John chapter 19, 28 tells us Jesus was thirsty. I mean, there's all of these little pictures of the real human body and the real human physical limitations that come with it that Jesus experienced. Jesus' human body is glorious. And that glorious body had limitations because that glorious body was human, a real human physical body. And that human body is central to God's cosmic plan of redemption. 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Listen, he suffered physical death. He didn't appear to die. It wasn't just a spiritual thing that happened to him. He physically died. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins apart from the physical death of Jesus. The body is not only a good gift from God, it is the instrument of God's redemption. There is no salvation apart from the human body of Jesus. And what's more, look how 1 Peter continues but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Notice the S is capitalized there. The Holy Spirit raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus died physically. And just as the Spirit brought about new life in Genesis, so too the Spirit raises Christ from the dead physically. Not the Spirit of Christ. The body of Christ is raised. After the resurrection, people touch Jesus. People hear the voice of Jesus. They see Jesus. They eat with Jesus. When we get to heaven, we will not be greeted by floating ghosts. 
We will be greeted by the risen Christ in all of his glory, in his physicalness, in his humanness, his body. And what's more, we will greet him in resurrected bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. How do we live with the pain of our limitations? We live with the pain of our present limitations through the hope of our resurrection. Your your body is one of the most precious gifts God has given to you, and you will be embodied for all of eternity. Every painful limitation you experience now, be it sickness, be it wrinkles, be it a pulled muscle from sleeping wrong, is an invitation for you to place your hope in the resurrection. You will have a body forever. And one day you will be raised with a body free from sickness, free from pain, and free from death. So as a church, how, how do we respond to something like this? What is, the, what is the invitation for us? I, I, think, it's, I think it's real simple. Let, let's become a people that receive our bodies with gratitude. Receive our limitations with humility. Look forward to our resurrected bodies with great anticipation. Practically, I want you to spend some time over the next few days asking yourself, what does my body need? I grew up in in a Christian culture that said the word need was bad. Anybody else been there? It's just all you need is Jesus. You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe that's too uncomfortable. Um, And I, I don't think the people who said that were lying or trying to be disingenuous. I I just think they were wrong. Because if I don't sleep, you know what happens if you don't sleep? This thing called death happens. You know what happens if you don't eat? You don't drink? You know what happens if a baby eats and drinks and sleeps but isn't held? You know, a baby can die if it's not held and touched, cared for and loved. You need so many things. So spend some time with your body and say, what what does my body need? Maybe, like Jesus, you'll find that you're hungry or thirsty. You need to put good food in your body. Good, healthy, nourishing food into your body. Maybe you'll find that, like Jesus, you're tired. What's the Christian response to fatigue? Anybody know? Nap. Oh, I was praying last night and I fell asleep praying. What if that's your good father saying, sister, you're so tired. Why don't you just take a nap with me right now? Is there a better place to nap than in the arms of your father? Uh, I'm going to talk about a nap for a second as the rain falls here. Um, You know, napping can be a form of worship. Some of you need to stop napping and get to work. Some of you are sluggards and lazy, so don't nap. Let the reader understand. But see, it's that's the Lord telling you. If you're like, ooh, is that me? That's the Lord saying, that's you. But listen, if to take a nap, you have to believe that God can actually run the universe. 
Some of you carry so much pressure and you don't stop because you think the whole world depends on you. You have to be in control. Napping is an embodied way of acknowledging God is sovereign. I'm going to lay here for 30 minutes and trust that God can keep running the universe. So maybe you need to accept the limitations of your control, relinquish that control to the universe, of the universe to God. And how do you do that? You take a nap. Maybe like Jesus, you need to simply make it a regular practice to live a life of gratitude, which can include gratitude for your body. So maybe you sluggards, you lazy people, you need to start moving. All of us are working from home now and sitting in front of computers and you need to get up and start moving your body more. You need to start going on walks or doing some kind of mild exercise. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to spend a little bit of time this week and ask yourself, ask your body, ask the Lord, what does my body need? Because listen, through these physical bodies of ours, we experience all of life. There is nothing about you or your life that is experienced anywhere else than in the context of your body. And it is through the physical body of Jesus Christ that we can once again experience fellowship with our good God who designed our sacred bodies and it is through the physical body of Jesus Christ that we will be raised to eternal bodies to dwell with him forever. So, we turn our minds to the night that Jesus was betrayed. And think about the imagery. Just pause for a second. I know communion is the time we zip our Bibles up and think about going and getting our kids. Just sit here for a moment with me. Jesus looks at his disciples and he takes a loaf of bread, something so ordinary that you could physically touch and taste. And he says to them, this is my body. He's making a connection between this sacred ritual, this meal that we participate in with him and each other, with his body. There is no way to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ without remembering the physical body of Christ. And he says to them, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I have done for you. I have suffered for you so that through my physical body, you may experience redemption. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. When you hear covenant, think relationship, think agreement, unconditional commitment. This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed with the shedding of my blood. What keeps you safe with God, secure with God? It is the physical death of Christ, the, the shedding of his blood, sealing his covenant with you all. So he says, eat this and drink this and remember what he's done for us. All of us have been told something about our bodies. And I want all of us to receive a better word this morning. Come to the table of Christ and hear his blessing over you, his affirmation that your body was made good and that your body is redeemed through Christ's own body and that your body will be raised good eternally. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.